Hi there. I'm Rohan Battersby, the facilitator of Lime Church, and this podcast episode is called Fundamentalism. It might seem strange that I'm committing an entire podcast episode to the subject of fundamentalism, but I think it's worth discussing as it has great importance to the way we engage our community at Lime FM. And it doesn't matter if we're a pious and devout Christian or an atheist, I really may have a new perspective for you that will help you understand both sides of a fundamentalist perspective. Two perspectives and one Jesus who makes them both believable. Fundamentalism is a cultural vein within many Christian denominations. It's both a set of beliefs and has also become an approach to promoting them. While from a doctrinal perspective, the core beliefs of fundamentalism are reasonable, in my view, sadly, I believe the application of a strict fundamentalist perspective can potentially alienate our community needlessly from Christians, Christianity and the church, and even obstruct from a clear presentation of the gospel. Christian fundamentalism tends to awaken nervousness in people in our community because they are perplexed by objective standards brought against them that they have no idea how they're meant to achieve or live up to. Christians often pride themselves on knowing what they believe and their strict adherence to certain doctrinal beliefs and practices. Christian fundamentalists can be seen as bigoted and aggressive individuals who condense their spirituality into an overly simplistic and dogmatic set of beliefs that can be imposed on others. The scriptures demonstrate that people need to have a compelling encounter with the risen Jesus Christ to change their mind about anything. They have to have a convincing life-changing experience. It's our privilege to cooperate with the Lord that folk in our community may get a high-resolution picture of Jesus. To expect people to repent of their sins without actually having had this happen is at best unfair and at worst a significant drift away from the dynamics clearly outlined in the Bible. Fundamentalist views expressed in a dogmatic fashion without consideration and context to the gospel can lead to distorted pictures of who God is and how much he loves and accepts people in our community. There is a relational process of people becoming compelled, convicted, and committed to Jesus and the things he teaches. If you're someone listening who doesn't currently identify as a Christian and has been frustrated by the approach of some well-meaning Christians, then I want you to leave feeling unburdened and free to hope and even expect a spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ. Yes, it can happen to you. And yes, it will change your perspective on things. This is not a subtle thing like meeting someone you highly respect or being inspired by a lecture. It's an explosive encounter that will leave every single one of your human faculties convinced that God is real and that he loves you and cares for you. A strict fundamentalist approach is really a major issue of putting the cart before the horse when it comes to engaging folk who don't identify as Christian. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody why folk are bewildered and resistant to the cart of expectation placed in front of them before they've had this experience with Jesus. What we're really talking about here is two different spiritual perspectives. It's really a spiritually enlightened mind versus one that has not been. 
And while that may seem harsh or derogatory to someone who doesn't believe or practice Christianity, God gives everybody the opportunity to see the world differently. Until this happens, if we want to avoid conflict and respectfully engage each other, then we must acknowledge we both have a different view based upon this critical criteria of encountering and having experienced a glorious God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. There is a spiritual awakening that needs to happen internally for all of us to really get Christian spirituality. This is an excerpt from an article about Christian fundamentalism from Victorious.org and how it has influenced Christianity over the last 100 years. From the Christian perspective, fundamentalist has traditionally referred to any follower of Christ who believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God and who believes in its literal interpretation and fundamental teachings. The fundamental Christian believes in the experience of the new birth, which occurs when faith is placed in Christ as Saviour and Lord. To the world, this may be viewed as radical, but it's very basic to the Christian faith. The idea of Christian fundamentalism first emerged as a movement in the 19th century within various Protestant bodies who reacted against the rising tide of evolutionary theories and modernist biblical criticism. From a Bible conference of conservative Protestants meeting in Niagara in 1895, a statement was issued containing what became known as the five points of fundamentalism. The verbal inerrancy of Scripture, the divinity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, a substitutionary theory of the atonement, and the physical resurrection and bodily return of Christ. In the first half of the 20th century, most Protestant churches in the US were divided into either fundamentalist or modernist groups. The term has generally been applied to all those who adhere to strict, conservative, that is Protestant orthodoxy in the matter of biblical inspiration. In the broad sense, fundamentalism may be used to describe Christians who are uncompromising, conservative, and who take their beliefs to the maximum, exactly how every believer should live. But because of recent increased activism by those identified as fundamentalists, who have promoted unethical actions such as bringing violence against abortion clinics, doctors, etc., some academic circles believe that fundamentalism has been redefined by our society. They believe that the philosophy of fundamentalism, at least in the world's eyes, has evolved into a legitimate form of extremism, with views too radical for the balanced evangelical Christian. For this reason, fundamentalism may no longer be a term which accurately conveys what Orthodox Christians really believe. Now, to talk about fundamentalism is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. It's sensitive if you hold fundamentalist Christian views, and it's just as sensitive if you are horrified by fundamentalist belief because of the implications of fundamentalist belief coming into conflict with commonly held modern beliefs. If I may make a few reflections about fundamentalism, and give you some ideas that may bring the consideration of this topic into a new perspective for everyone. If you don't identify as a Christian, I need you to accept that there are certain spiritual capacities 
that have not been awakened in you just yet. If you have not received Jesus into your life, then the light has not come on for you. The Bible teaches that you are in spiritual darkness. Light is what allows us to see things clearly, and it's the same way with spiritual light. Until you've had an encounter with the glorious risen Christ, Christian spirituality and practice will merely be a mental exercise that ends in the same perplexed perspective, and you will not understand these strange religious individuals who believe in strange supernatural possibilities. I encourage you to be open to an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. When you see the light, you will gain a new perspective. Now to talk to the passionate Christian fundamentalists out there. I don't have any issue with any of the five core beliefs of fundamentalism. It's more their application. I will say when the scriptures are taught, folk can certainly begin to form a picture of who Jesus Christ is. But that's very different than taking the moral standards in the Bible and subjecting unbelievers with them. Can you understand that if you have opened your life to Jesus Christ, then the light has come on for you and this light gives you perspective that those who are in the dark cannot. Even the original fundamentals understood that a personal revelation of the divine was essential in accepting or rejecting the beliefs in the Christian scriptures. A personal experience with the divine is essential to embracing these views and without them leaves the scriptural content as bizarre fantastical stories. If you're passionate about people believing what you believe, then change up the steps here. Rather than leading with a viewpoint that you confront someone with, how about putting all your energy into allowing the risen Christ to shine through your life and praying that those in the dark will have a spiritually illuminating experience? Can you see that it's a little cruel to expect someone to see what you see when they don't have the light you have? If you have the torch of Christ and you're looking for something in a dark room, you can understand how those who don't have this light could be stumbling around in a dark room, banging into walls and objects. Many people do not have a high resolution image of Jesus, and sometimes it's really murky and distorted. We can either help or hinder folk with what their image of Jesus Christ is like. Get a load of this passage from 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day where Moses is read, 
a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How about this for a new fundamentalist approach? If we want to see the biblical outcomes of our community repenting and living righteous lives, we need to accurately model Jesus, let him live his life through us, and pray that folk would have an encounter with the glorious risen Christ. Continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This passage demonstrates a number of things clearly. That what we have responded to in becoming Christians is not a cognitive idea about God, but an experience with him. It's because we have caught a glimpse of the resurrected Christ. It also shows that we who identify as Christians have a part to play. As we deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus, living lives that are postured where he wants and for his service, we have an opportunity for people to see the treasure in us, the risen Christ. Can you see how it's so easy to have an ideological concept that we present to people, but stop short of actually presenting the risen Christ to them. Can you understand how people are bewildered that we would expect them to live differently before they have actually met this Jesus? I'm going to outline some biblical examples of how this dynamic of people beholding the glorious Jesus Christ led to repentance and righteous living. People encountered the glorious Christ while Jesus was on earth. They encountered him once he had ascended and sent his Holy Spirit, and we can encounter him just as powerfully.
If you don't currently identify as a Christian, but continue to be open, then as I talk about the encounters that folk had with Jesus, I will pray you will have an encounter with him today. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This Samaritan woman had a high-resolution encounter with Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. Zacchaeus had a high-resolution encounter with Jesus. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus had a high-resolution encounter with Jesus. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman had a high-resolution encounter and an experience with the glorious presence of Jesus. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not drink or eat anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul had a high-resolution encounter and experience with Jesus Christ. I don't think there can be any doubt that it takes an encounter with Jesus Christ to have a life-changing response. Can you see how impossible it is for people to have an understanding of the metaphysical ideas and values in the Bible until they have had an encounter with the metaphysical Jesus? When we begin to encounter the supernatural God, it becomes so much easier to learn about his supernatural kingdom and embrace ideas such as a future resurrection, a future coming of Jesus Christ, and supernatural events happening in the scriptures. It becomes easier to understand that God may have a different perspective about how we should live our lives. Let's explore some fundamentalist ideas in light of this new perspective. The Bible is made up of a series of different literature, all from different times in history, and broadly different authors. The canon or body of accepted biblical literature was made by a consensus of individuals who agreed what was and what was not scripture. The Catholic Church accepts some literature as scripture that the Protestant Church broadly does not. We already have a debate on what is divinely inspired text and what is not. The next consideration is if you believe that all scripture is God-breathed or given by divine inspiration and therefore holds an authoritative position in your life. I have a relationship with God and have an increasing respect of the word of God and the belief of its importance in forming aspects of life and conduct. I've grown in my love for the Bible as my love for God has grown over the years. I actually find it increasingly relevant too. Just as the Holy Scriptures were given by divine revelation, they are accepted by divine revelation too. To robotically believe every static concept that is written in the Bible and not accept that you need to wrestle with interpretation and application with a regard to author, language, cultural considerations and modern application is simplistic at best, I think, and very dangerous in its worst form. The Bible is the one book that has been written that the author is present with you and can comment on. And it might sound weird, but a personal revelation of the divine is essential in accepting the supernatural revelation of God in the Christian scriptures. If you don't believe in God or struggle to believe he exists, then it follows that the supernatural activity surrounding God is going to be a difficult or impossible notion for you to accept or grasp. Many people who have been spiritually awakened in a Christian sense have also experienced other supernatural encounters that have helped convince them of the presence and power of the divine. If you have not had a spiritually illuminated and develop the capacity to receive spiritual revelation, if you have not had a spiritual encounter and become spiritually illuminated and develop the capacity to receive spiritual revelation, then everything narrated in scripture of a supernatural nature will be brought into question, including God as a divine and supernatural being creating the universe, 
The divine nature of Jesus Christ, including his virgin birth, resurrection and return to earth? You will struggle as many of the modern theologians who brought a rationalistic critique to the scriptures. Folk haven't accepted the scriptures because they haven't accepted the author who wrote it. Please be careful about this if you subscribe to being a fundamentalist. It's truly where the derogatory term Bible basher comes from. If people have not come to a place of acknowledging the place and benefit of the Bible in their life, then they will not subscribe to the same ethical or moral standards as you do. A new ethical and moral framework is created through relationship with the divine, not by aggressively imposing foreign standards, beliefs and expectations upon people who are not established in a Christian worldview. Fundamentalism as a theological set of beliefs helped to conserve Christian belief against a wave of humanistic and rationalist critique in a theoretical sense. But fundamentalist beliefs can be misapplied in the context of the gospel. If you identify as a Christian, are you ready to stop imposing your beliefs on others and instead prioritize conducting your life in a way that brings folk into an encounter with God? And if you don't identify as a Christian just yet, I'm sorry that you may have felt more beaten up by the beliefs and expectations of Christians than being shown clearly who Jesus Christ is. Jesus can heal and resolve all of that for you too. Is the door open just a crack where you just might be open to a meeting with the risen Jesus Christ? Jesus is beautiful. And when we see him clearly, beautiful things happen. Are you ready to meet with the risen Jesus Christ today?